I don't need to tell you Christmas is coming. I'm pretty sure Target took care of that in like August. I don't need to tell you this season will be hectic. Your mailbox is going to be full with cards. Catalogs. Bills. Your inbox will be stacking up with invitations. Cookie swaps. Holiday concerts. Office parties. You don't need to tell me that church is pretty low on your list. I know that. I know why. But before you write this off, I just want to tell you. I get it. Christmas can be annoying. Overplayed. Irrelevant. Expensive. It can also be beautiful. Meaningful. Peaceful. Hopeful. I want to tell you how much you mean to me. Whether we worship together or not. Whether we carve the turkey together or not. Whether or not you buy me anything. I want to tell you I'm sorry about that Christmas we fought. <clears throat> All the Christmases we fought. I hate the hype. I hate the marketing. I hate the pressure. Christmas is not about any of those things. I just want Christmas to be Christmas. And I want to share it with you. I want to share a story that I know can surprise you, even if you've heard it before. I want to share an honest conversation. I want to tell you that God loves you. Does that sound hokey when I say that? I don't care, because it's true. And I believe that. I want to tell you I love you. I want to invite you to celebrate Christmas with me. And my family. And my friends. As a date? No pressure. No price tags. No pie baking. But no matter what. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Well, I hope you are as excited as we are about the Christmas season that's approaching, the opportunity we have to celebrate and share this great news of Christ's coming. So we designed this uh, little invitational video for you to take advantage of, to share with your friends and family and relatives and anybody uh, you might want to send a greeting to. Last week, we challenged ourselves to be praying for one this Christmas season, praying for one person we might reach out to, one person we might invite to a service or an event. And our hope is that you'll take advantage of this simple video and share it with them along with an invitation. So you can find it on our website, any of our social media platforms. You can find it in the app, and we encourage you to take advantage of it and uh, send a little note with it. Our theme is going to be Home is Here. And we'll be exploring all the conflicted emotions we experience about home and Christmas time, all the longings and the hopes and the disappointments and the fears, and how Christ's coming speaks into our understanding and experience of home. So it's going to be personal and powerful, and uh, we're looking forward to that journey. You can also be watching your mail this week. You have a letter coming from me and your campus pastor just letting you know some things happening this season, so you can uh, be watching for that as well. So even though it looks a lot like Christmas around here, today is really about Thanksgiving for us. We're going to continue to lean into thankfulness and gratitude this Thanksgiving weekend as we finish up our series from Colossians and our conversation about what it means to thrive. So let's begin with uh, a renowned psychiatrist, Dr. Robert Emmons, is probably the country's leading expert on the science of gratitude. In one of his experiments, he and his team studied uh, three groups of people. And they asked these three groups of people every week to write down a few sentences of reflection. One group was to write down things they were thankful for that week. The second group was to write down things that they were annoyed about that week. 
And the third group was to write down things that affected them but were neither positive or negative. They did that for 10 weeks. At the end of the 10 weeks, it was very clear that the people who wrote down things they were thankful for were happier, healthier, and more optimistic than the other two groups. Now, that study only confirmed what dozens and maybe hundreds of studies have already confirmed, which is that people who cultivate a habit of being thankful have deeper relationships, enjoy improved health and happiness, have a greater freedom from the toxic emotions of anxiety and anger and envy and bitterness. Grateful people eat better, sleep better, feel better, work better, love better, and generally live better than their less grateful counterparts. They are more likable, more energetic, more generous, more enthusiastic, and more resilient than those who are not so thankful. Now, it makes sense when you think about it. It's just about impossible to be grouchy and grateful at the same time. Yeah, thanks for fixing me my favorite meal. <laughs> it just doesn't work. But here's the really significant thing that all these studies have confirmed. Gratitude is not a trailing indicator of happiness. Gratitude is a leading indicator of happiness. In other words, we're not thankful because good things are happening in our lives. Good things are happening in our lives because we're thankful. Or to put it in terms that we've been using here this fall, we're not thankful because we thrive. We thrive because we're thankful. Now, for this entire fall, about nine or ten weeks, we've been talking about what it means to thrive, how we can live life to the full. And we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Colossian Christians and discovering the, the ingredients of a thriving life. And we've learned that we thrive when we're grounded in Scripture when we're shaped by the gospel, when we're centered in Christ. We thrive when we serve one another in the body of Christ. We thrive when we love the members of our family as Christ has loved us. We thrive when we work hard and well at whatever God puts before us. We thrive when we share our faith with others. Today we're going to share the final discovery in our thriving portfolio, and it's simply this. We thrive when we're thankful. We thrive when we're thankful. Now, as I've been reading and working with this truth for the past week or two, I've come to believe that while it may not be the most theologically profound of all the truths we've talked about, it may be the most personally powerful. What I mean by that is that this simple truth has the power to change our hearts and change our lives beginning today. We thrive when we're thankful. So let's explore it a little bit. It turns out this theme of gratitude runs all the way through Paul's letter to the Colossians. So we're going to kind of survey the whole thing for a moment here. Remember, Paul's writing this letter as a prisoner. So he is cut off from everybody who's important to him. He's far from home. He's unable to do the one thing in life he wants to do, which is to preach the good news. He's concerned about the churches that he's planted and the new believers who have come to faith. His opponents in the church are, are seizing this opportunity, his imprisonment, to discredit him. They're slandering his character and undermining his authority. 
And on top of all of this, he has no idea when and how this imprisonment will end. It could go for months, it could go for years, it could well end with his execution. So things are not going well for Paul. And yet, when you read this letter, it overflows with gratitude. In fact, he uses the word thanks six times in this letter. It's a short letter, six times. He uses that word. Let's just just skim through for a moment and follow his train of thought. He begins, he gets to it right at the beginning, opening lines. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Notice, he always thanks God. It's a continual habit for him. Later on in that same prayer, he speaks about giving joyful thanks to the Father. Not just thanks, joyful thanks from prison. Well, then he gets to the body of the letter. And three times he challenges his readers, he challenges us to be thankful. It begins in chapter 2. He says he wants us to be overflowing with thankfulness. So grateful that we can't even contain it. That our gratitude spills over and begins to infect the people around us. Chapter 3, he simply commands us, be thankful. It's not a suggestion. He summarizes the whole section in chapter 3. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Look how comprehensive it is. Whatever you do, word or deed, in all things, give thanks. And just in case we missed it, just in case we didn't get it, as he comes to the end of his letter and he gets ready to sign off, he tosses it in one more time. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Not once in a while, not on Turkey Day, every day, all the time, devote yourselves to being thankful. Six times. It's like getting a letter from your father and he tells you six times to change the oil in your car. Now, if you knew my father and you knew me, that is not a far-fetched example, okay? I've gotten letters almost like that. Six times, give thanks. It must be pretty important. But why? I mean, of all the things Paul could have said six times in a letter from prison, why does he focus on being thankful. Is gratitude that important to the Christian life? Is thankfulness essential to thriving? Maybe so. Ann Voskamp says it so. Are you familiar with Ann Voskamp? Maybe you've heard her name. Ann is a Christian writer. She's a farmer's wife and a mother of six. She came from out of nowhere a few years ago with a book she wrote that instantly became a New York Times bestseller. It's called 1,000 Gifts. In the wake of that book, her blog has become one of the most popular mommy blogs in the world. I'll tell you her story in a few minutes, but the premise of her book, the premise of her life, is that gratitude is foundational to human flourishing and Christian living. Gratitude is foundational to the Christian life and to human flourishing. And when you think about it a little bit, you can understand why. I mean, gratitude reminds us that we are dependent creatures. Every good and true thing we have in this life, the world around us, life, health, breath, these things 
These things were given to us. We didn't earn them. We didn't buy them. We didn't achieve them. We didn't create them. We are recipients of these things. And as Christian people, we believe we're, they're the gifts of a loving, powerful, personal God. Gratitude reminds us and helps us to focus on the fact that, that, that we have more than we lack. And so we, we operate out of a sense of abundance rather than a sense of scarcity. And that makes us generous people. We want to be as generous to others as life and God have been to us. Gratitude forces us to pay attention. The words think and thank come from the same root. And so a grateful person, you can't sleepwalk through the day. Grateful people pay attention. Grateful people are engaged with people, with opportunities. And if you're a believer, with God, looking for his hand in every day and every opportunity. Gratitude fuels faith. The God who provided for us in the past can be trusted with our future. Gratitude ultimately sets us free because ultimately we can be forgiven for our sins and healed of our hurts through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for us. Forgiven and free. That's why every Celebrate Recovery story begins with the words, my name is Brian and I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ. I've received forgiveness and freedom to become my true and best self. Faith, freedom, forgiveness, humility, generosity, all these things flow into and out of our lives when we cultivate a, an attitude of gratitude. Martin Luther himself, the great reformer, said that gratitude is the fundamental attitude of the Christian experience. And so maybe we begin to understand how Paul could have such a positive and optimistic outlook even when so many things have gone wrong for him. He's thankful. He's grateful. And that attitude of gratitude fills him with optimism and enthusiasm for the future. See, we tend to think that gratitude or thanksgiving is all about looking backward. We, we look back on what God has done. We look back on the year and, and we're grateful for it. And that's true. But that's only the half of it. Thankfulness is not only about looking backward, it's about looking forward as well. Because the God who brought us this far through many dangers, toils, and snares can bring us the rest of the way as well. And so Thanksgiving looks both ways, to the past and to the future. And so it enables Paul, even with all these things going wrong in his life, to have joy and hope and, and expectancy as he writes this letter. I've always been struck by the fact that the pilgrims celebrated their Thanksgiving, celebrated their abundance before the winter rather than after it. I mean, the previous winter had nearly wiped them out. Bitter cold, diseases like scurvy and pneumonia, the, the sheer isolation of it all. Of the 102 pilgrims who arrived in Plymouth, nearly half of them died that first winter. So wouldn't it make sense to save your celebration until you survive that second winter rather than beforehand? But you see, they were so grateful for the way God had provided for them that spring and that summer and that fall. 
the help of the Native Americans, the abundant crops, the full storehouses. They were so filled with faith and confidence, they couldn't wait for spring to celebrate. They had to celebrate now, believing that God would see them through. Maybe you'll, if you're familiar with the Thanksgiving story, you know that Thanksgiving didn't become an official American holiday until Abraham Lincoln declared it to be so. And when did he do it? In the middle of the Civil War. When our nation was at its most divided, he said, let's set aside a day of Thanksgiving. Because he knew that by looking back at the history of our nation and the faithfulness of God, that we could trust him to see the, see the nation through that crisis as well. And so Thanksgiving fills us with faith and joy and hope for the future. That's why we thrive when we're thankful. So what in particular is Paul thankful for? We've already pointed out just about everything's gone wrong for him. He's separated from his family and friends. His ministry is stifled. His enemies are exploiting his weakness. Uh, he doesn't know how it's going to end. And now he hears that this church in Colossae is floundering, is in trouble. So why is he so positive? Why is he so, what's he thankful for? Well, he tells us in verse three. We always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up in heaven for you and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Paul is grateful because in spite of all the difficult things that have happened to him, the gospel has taken root and is bearing fruit in the lives of the Colossians and in the wider world around. And as long as that is happening, he is full of joy and optimism for the future. Now Paul goes on to talk about what he sees happening in the life of this church, this young church. And the word, the things that he sees should sound familiar to us here at Grace because it's the kind of language we use. For one thing, he sees that they are growing deeper in their relationship with Christ. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. He senses that they are getting closer to their brothers and sisters in Christ and of the love you have for all God's people. And thirdly, he sees that they are reaching wider with the good news of God. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. So Paul is so grateful for what God is doing in that church, even though he knows there are dangers ahead for that church. As long as they can be thankful for what God has already done, they'll be fine and he will be too. So what does all this mean for us? I think you're getting the idea at this point. We thrive when we're thankful. So here we are in 2016, a few hundred years after the pilgrims celebrated their first Thanksgiving, a couple of thousand years after Paul wrote these words. What does thriving and thanking have to do with us here today? And I'd like to suggest that it, it reminds us that setting aside a day and a Sunday for giving thanks is a right and good thing to do. It's one of the ways in which God fills our hearts with gratitude and with faith for the future as well. So I'd like to spend a few moments giving thanks, first for what God has been doing in the life of our church in the past year or two, and then to give thanks for what God might be doing in our personal lives as well. 
So let's talk about first what, what, what God's been doing in the life of the Grace Chapel community for the past year or two. And when I say Grace Chapel community, I'm referring to our campuses, to our partners, to our folks online, and to our, our mission partners all around the world as well. Two years ago, back in 2014, we launched what we called a generosity initiative. It was a vision and stewardship effort that we called NEXT, following a God who's always on the move. Hopefully you remember that little logo, okay? Hopefully you've been giving towards it for the past couple of years. Actually, you have very generously. But it's been a couple of years now. And here we are in the month of December, and we're coming down to the final, couple of, final month of that effort. And so it's a good time to kind of stop and look back and see what God has done over the past two years. One of the priorities of that next initiative was to invest and revitalize our ministries to the next generation of Christ followers here at Grace. So children and students in particular. We were sensing that it's more challenging than ever for young people, kids, their families to, to be connected to the church, to be followers of Jesus. So we sensed it was time to revitalize our historically strong ministries to children and students. So we invited you to pray and serve and give toward that effort. And as a result of that, your gifts, we were able to bring to our staff Pastor Ruthie Siders, who's become our pastor of Next Generation Ministries. And in less than two years, she has already brought vision, passion, strategy, and effectiveness to our ministries, to children and students across all of our campus, campuses. She's helped us all to understand that we are a faith family, that we are each faith parents to the children and the teenagers, the young people who are part of our congregation and community. Under her leadership, that next generation team has redesigned their entire curriculum They've designed a, a cradle-to-college curriculum that will take our young people through all the key passages of the Bible, through all the core doctrines of the faith, and through all the milestones of the spiritual journey, from, from child dedication to receiving your first Bible to accepting Christ as your Savior to being baptized to serving your church to becoming a member of the church. They've got the whole thing planned out. Thorough treatment and teaching. We've also been able to strengthen our, our SHINE ministry through which we serve and partner with, with special needs kids and their families. We were able to bring Elena Hogan to our staff as the part-time director of our SHINE ministry. I was speaking to someone who was volunteering down there today and she said the place is just thriving with, with activity and excellence and care under that ministry. Your gifts have helped to make that possible. As a result of those investments in next generation ministries, we're seeing those ministries flourish across all our campuses. In East Lexington, ELEX as we like to call it, they have nearly double the number of kids this fall as they had a year ago in children. In Wilmington, they're serving about 200 children every Sunday. Here in Lexington, we're approaching 500 children every Sunday. Every week, we receive 10, 12, 15 new children and their families registering to be part of Kidstown. We're seeing a similar thing happen in our student ministries, the middle schoolers and high schoolers. The fall retreat was sold out this year, 250 kids and volunteers, leaders going away for a weekend together. Watertown Student Ministries, affectionately known as Watsom, 
Watson has nearly doubled this fall as kids are now beginning to bring their friends to what's happening there. The team in Lexington re-envisioned their entire strategy. They started eight home groups this fall. Uh, they already have more kids participating midweek than they did last year and more groups to come in the wintertime. And in a highly strategic move, we're able to persuade our middle school pastor and our high school pastor to get married. Okay? <laughs> So they have to work together now, like it or not. <laughs> We've also been able to establish an internship program here at Grace, uh, investing in the lives of college-age men and women who get a chance for real-world work experience, ministry experience, leadership development. So they'll be able to go off to their careers inside or outside the church, understanding what it means to work for the kingdom of God wherever they are. Uh, behind all these numbers, behind all these tactics, are stories, stories of young lives being touched and changed in remarkable ways. I wish we had time to tell all of those stories, but we'd like to tell you just one. So let's turn our attention to the screen for just a moment. My name is Angela Rogers, and I'm the Children's Ministry Director at our Grace Chapel campus in Wilmington. Sometimes we wonder if the children in our children's ministry are actually getting what we're teaching them. I want to tell you a story about a couple of kids who get it. One of our fourth graders, Trevor, and his second grade brother, Warren, live next door to a family who always wondered why they couldn't come out and play on a Sunday morning. And they shared with their friends that they couldn't come out to play on a Sunday morning because they were at Sunday school. They came to church. And eventually, after a couple of Sundays of Trevor and Warren not being able to come out and play, Parker and Connor wanted to come to Sunday school with them. And so their mom packed them up in the minivan and brought them to Grace Chapel, Wilmington. They were a little nervous at first, didn't know what to expect coming into a room full of children that they didn't know. So they hung out with their friends, Trevor and Warren, and eventually, over time, they got more and more comfortable. Just this past uh, September, Parker and Connor both received their very first Bibles that they've ever gotten, and they're reading it on a daily basis. And just a couple of weeks ago, Trevor was having a conversation with Parker and they were talking about prayer and how awesome it is that we can talk to God and we can tell him things that are going on in our lives and we can ask for help and we, we can share things with him. And how cool is that? And then they fist bumped like fourth graders do and it was awesome. Awesome things like that are happening every single week in the lives of hundreds, thousands of children and teenagers and their families. And please understand, your gifts, your prayers, your service, your availability helps make moments like that possible. God is honoring them, and we're deeply grateful for it. But that next-gen piece was just one aspect of that next initiative. We were also concerned that we needed to strengthen our core ministries and our infrastructure. How exciting is that? Infrastructure. So that we would be ready for whatever doors God might open up in the years to come to reach more people. And so we've been investing, first of all, in our presence on the web. And we've made great advances there. Just recently, for instance, last month, we reached 36,000 people through our Facebook page alone. 
7,000 people liked, followed, or commented on something that we posted on Facebook this past month. We began live streaming our services on Sunday and throughout the week. Not only as a way of keeping in touch and connected with our own folks if you're traveling or sick or something, but also so people could sample the ministry and check things out before they came, and many people do that. We have about 600 folks watching online every week. We lost our, launched our Grace Chapel app so that you can easily access events, announcements, and all of our teaching content as well right off your phone. And here's the real miracle. I've begun to tweet. <laughs> yes, I have. You can follow me at F. Brian Wilkerson. And if you follow me tomorrow, I promise you I will post something, okay? So we're excited about uh, taking advantage of that. We also knew as we looked to the future, we can't keep hiring people to do ministry. We need to raise up qualified, seasoned, experienced, capable volunteers. And so this fall, we began a missional community called EPIC. EPIC is for those of us who are 50-something and older and finding ourselves with time and energy and wisdom and experience, and we want to do something with it. And EPIC is helping, helping us find ways to use our gifts to serve the church and to serve the world. We've also been uh, paying attention to our locations and what needs to happen on each of them as we look to the future. And there's great things happening. We formalized our partnership with Christ Church of Amherst. So they take our feed on Sunday morning. They've recently called the, a new senior pastor, a campus pastor, and he's now joining our staff every Monday as he leads their congregation in partnership with us. We established Lexington as a campus in its own right, naming Pastor Dave as our campus pastor and forming a leadership team to pay attention to what God might be doing right here in our community and the surrounding communities. Last spring, we called Pastor Tom Lee and his wife Edna to be campus pastor in, in, uh, at the East Lexington campus. And we're seeing a great surge of attendance in East Lexington this fall on Sundays. Wilmington is overflowing and has been for a while now. And so we've been exploring ways to create more room for that church to grow and reach and serve more people in the days to come. In Watertown, we are in between pastors searching for our next campus pastor. But even in this interim season, there's great energy and vitality and a, a re-energized re leadership team as they look to the future there. And as you know, we recently announced that Lord willing, we'll be opening a Foxborough campus sometime in 2017. We've already begun investing in that facility there, upgrading it, and are seeing more people begin to take our live stream there on Sunday mornings. And in the middle of all these campus developments, if you remember, a year or so ago, we came together one Sunday, 4,000 of us in Lowell, to remind ourselves that we are one church in many locations. And that day, we baptized nearly 100 people. We have so much to be grateful for. Like the Apostle Paul, we look back over the past couple of years and we see the gospel has taken root and is bearing fruit. It's growing in each of our ministry locations and across our city and around the world. And, and I hope we'll understand, I hope you'll understand that, that your gifts, your prayers, your service, your availability is helping that to happen. And so it is right and good for us to stop and give thanks today to God for his faithfulness to us and, and to, to the Grace Chapel family for their generosity I'm feeling very much like the Apostle Paul. I always thank God for you when I remember you in my prayers. And I hope you're feeling the same. We are deeply grateful people.
Now, we still have a month to go in our next initiative this month of December. And it's an important one to finish the year well, to finish strong so that we can be poised for whatever's next and these ministries can continue to flourish. So I hope you'll know that your gifts are well stewarded and making a difference for the kingdom. We thrive when we're thankful. But this connection between thriving and thanks isn't just about our church. It's about our individual lives as well. And what we're discovering here today is that thanksgiving isn't just foundational to our lives. It is transformational. The attitude of gratitude has the power to change our hearts and our lives from the very moment we start practicing it. And that's what Ann Voskamp discovered a few years ago. Not long ago, Ann was a struggling young mom and a troubled Christ follower. She was haunted by the childhood memory of seeing her younger sister run over by a farm truck and killed right in front of the entire family. And her family had such a hard time. They, they never really got over it. Her father walked away from church. Her mother spent, was in and out of a psychiatric hospital all through Anne's growing up years. And in those years, it left Anne feeling anxious and afraid and ashamed and inadequate. As a young married woman, she watched her brother-in-law lose two of his young children, two sons, to, to the same disease in a matter of just a couple of years. She began to wonder how she could trust God with, with her children when things like that happen in the world. With a growing family, a sprawling farm to take care of, she found herself panic-stricken and, and, and agoraphobic and, and not sure she was going to make it anymore. And then when a, a best friend's son came down with cancer, she just wasn't sure she could take any more. But about that time, she began to notice how often the Bible spoke about gratitude, about giving thanks, always and in everything. She was struck by the fact that on the night he was betrayed, the Bible says, Jesus took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. When he'd given thanks, on a night when he was to experience the worst that this world had to offer, he gave thanks. Eucharisteo is the Greek phrase that is used there. He gave thanks. That's why we sometimes call the Lord's table the Eucharist. It occurred to her that giving thanks must be incredibly important if Jesus could do it even in a moment like that. But how could she cultivate that habit with so many bad things happening in the world? She began blogging about some of these thoughts. And one November day, very much like the November day her little sister had died many years ago, an online viewer challenged her, dared her, to come up with a list of a thousand things she loved, a thousand things she was thankful for. And her first thought as a mother of six before the holiday season was, you want me to make another list? <laughs> as if I don't have enough lists in my life already. A thousand things? Are you serious? How long will it take to come up with a thousand things? But to her surprise, she started doing it. 
First on a scrap of paper, the back of an envelope in her mail bin, she began to write down things she was thankful for. Number one, morning shadows across an old floor. Number two, cry of blue jay from high in the spruce. They were simple things. They were everyday things. Mail in the mailbox, kisses in the dark, forgiveness of a sister, laughter at twilight. As the days and weeks and months went by, her list grew and her heart changed. She reached a thousand gifts before she even knew it and kept on going right past it. Eucharisteo, giving thanks, has become a way of life for Anne. And she's found it to be the very foundation of her Christian faith. And of course, that makes all the sense in the world because our journey begins when we give thanks to Jesus for dying on the cross for our sins and rising again from the dead so we can be forgiven, so we can be free. If the Christian life begins with thanks, doesn't it continue with thanks? Isn't it watered by gratitude so that it takes root and bears fruit? We thrive when we're thankful. And so this past Wednesday evening, a crowd of us gathered here in the Lexington Sanctuary for our Thanksgiving Eve service. And we had a nice turnout. Folks from all across our campuses came together. Mike from Watertown and his team led us in worship. Adam from Wilmington brought our meditation. And then all around the room, people began to stand up and to give thanks for God's faithfulness to them over the past year. They gave thanks for things like a baby after years of infertility and miscarriages. Thanks for an aging and unbelieving parent who had finally opened her heart to Christ in her final days and come to faith. For 17 years of battling back cancer and standing up every year on Wednesday evening on Thanksgiving Eve to thank God for another year. Thanks for finding Grace Chapel after decades away from church. Thanks for being baptized. Thanks for 65 years of marriage. Thanks for kids staying true to their faith. Thanks for the Cubs winning the World Series. <laughs> we covered it all. And it was a great evening. But I have to tell you, on a personal level, Karen and I came to that service Wednesday night feeling a little more empty than full. None of our kids were able to come home this year, and so we were feeling a little bit of the sadness as we came that evening. But by the end of the evening of giving thanks, as we drove home, we were overflowing with gratitude for our church family and for God's goodness to our family in spite of the circumstances that keep us separated right now. It changed our Thanksgiving. It changed our weekend. It's changing my life. This has been something of an epiphany for me. This idea of giving thanks always of a Eucharisteo kind of lifestyle. So I don't know what your year looks like as you look back over 2016, but I trust you've taken some time this weekend to look back and give thanks for God's goodness to you in spite of whatever else has happened. And I trust that as you look to the year to come and as we collectively look to our next chapter of ministry together, 
I'm praying that our hearts might be filled not just with gratitude but with faith. Believing the God who has blessed us and brought us this far can bless us and bring us the rest of the way as well. I'm praying that we will thrive as we are thankful. Let's pray. Lord, your word never fails to speak to the moment, to our needs, to our longings, to our disappointments. And you have done that again today. We're grateful for this letter of Colossians, for the rich truths we've gained in this season of study together. We are thankful that so many of us can testify to a thriving season of life and to a thriving season of ministry. We pray, Lord, that in, in that sense of abundance, we truly would be grateful, humble, and generous people. Lord, for those who are struggling just a bit to feel thankful today, for those who are grieving or troubled or anxious or uncertain, pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you might remind them, remind us of the evidence of your hand and your faithfulness and your goodness even through hard times. And we pray that together, by your Holy Spirit, the truth of your word and by our encouragement with one another, that we might truly become a grateful people, a grateful community for your glory, for the good of the world, and for our great joy. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>